Hi, I'm Gina Marie Principe. I'm a New York City Department of Education speech language pathologist, and I work part-time for TheraCare uh, as an early intervention speech language pathologist as well. Um, I often say I have the best job in the world. I truly, truly believe that. Um, and I'm so excited to share some of my knowledge today. People will be so excited to have a speech language pathologist on. It's like one for me as a nurse, I work um, as a care coordinator and I work with SLPs all the time and I love them. They're always, oh, thank you. always so sweet. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I think that it's, a, it's such an amazing profession. I think it's a mix of like art and science mm -hmm. and then it comes together and I feel very honored to do the work that I do. Um, so I'm excited to share some of my information today. Yeah, and people are really eager to, uh, I got like quite a few questions. People were really eager that you're awesome. to, to have the opportunity to ask them to, to yeah. an SLP. So that's great. Yeah, no problem. So we'll start, I guess we'll just start off with one of the questions. One sure. of them that I got was, how can we inspire our little ones slash give them confidence to speak or mimic? Um, they also add that the comprehension is there, but I can't seem to make him ever say or repeat much. Great question. And I just wanted to say I have a couple of strategies to help with that. But the first thing I want to say the most important is motivation. Every child that I've ever worked with has been motivated by something. It could be a pencil. It could be a fidget. It could be a tissue box, anything. <laughs> Children are motivated by something. It's very important for a speech language pathologist to take a back seat and the first couple of sessions to observe and see what motivates their child to communicate and to and what it's like the family dynamics what it's like there as well um, so the first thing i would say is motivation the second thing i would say is wait time so instead of jumping in for your child and asking a question and trying to answer for them wait five seconds mm -hmm. and give your child the chance to just phonate anything um, my third strategy is some of the best toys are like the original toys, uh, you know, so technology, it's 2021 and we got some crazy stuff coming out, but I feel like speech language pathologists love like the ball bubbles, like those old school toys are really what motivates children balloons. It's incredible how there could be all technology in a room and <laughs> that will gravitate a child to come towards it. So true. So true. My daughter is totally one of those kids. She loves like the bowls. Um, she loves yeah. bubbles. Bubbles yep. are a favorite. Uh, even like tissue boxes, yep. stuff like that. It's simple. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I'm a very big proponent of following a child's lead. I truly believe in the DIR floor time model of mm -hmm. following what they're doing to get me to go with them is super important. I'm more of like an unstructured play therapist than a structured one. And I think by following them and observing them, they can tell you so much. Um, Another strategy I want to say is mirror play. So buying a mirror and looking in the mirror and just producing phonemes. So, mm, or pa, 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 pa. and then them seeing it in the mirror and then trying to repeat it back to you. Right. Um, I also love nursery rhymes. Nursery rhymes are great. Um, so when you're singing them, it's showing joint attention. You have the baby right in front of you and you could do the wheels on the bus go and then pause, and then you can get their hands moving because physical imitation comes before um, speech Verbal, imitation. Right. Yep, right. so you wanna do round and round and you sing the song and you leave out words and whatever they produce in that moment, you take it and then you keep singing <laughs> it along because that's them communicating with you in their little language. Right. And my last strategy is any child that I have difficulty with figuring out how to get them to 
phonate, I find that physical activity is a huge proponent in increasing expressive language, right? Speech therapy is just a com- small component of the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's imperative to work as like a whole body approach. So I'm just one of it, the OT, the PT, the special educator, we're all part of a team, but I feel like physical gets the body and the mouth moving. So anytime mm-hmm. we go to the park or we get a jungle gym or a sensory gym, I feel like those uh, opportunities really help a child express themselves. Yeah, that's, I, I never even really thought about the connection between the physical, even in like the nursery rhymes, that's so true and so important. Yeah. We forget about it, I think, when we're when we're doing it, but it's of important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So those are some of my strategies for um, getting a child to have more confidence with speaking. Yeah, it seems like it's a lot of patience. I think I know when I try to get like my daughter speaks a lot. She's like a nonstop talker. But uh-huh. um, when I try to get her to say certain things, I don't wait sometimes. And okay, I listen, that's you know, okay. like, yeah, but, but it's hard to remember. But that's good. Now I'll try and give her like that couple of seconds. Yeah, to... like a, a little wait time. Like I always tell parents like count to five. Mm-hmm. Count to yeah. five and hide and then see, you know, see what happens. See what magic comes out. <laughs> exactly. Magic. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so the second question I got are what important, what are important speech milestones to look for? And by what ages? Everyone talks about physical milestones, but not really verbal ones. Okay. So I'm going to defer to some amazing Instagram accounts for speech. Um, one is at tiny talkers and one is at, at speech sisters. So I'm going to break down the milestones with receptive and expressive. Receptive language is understanding what someone is saying, so comprehension. And I'm going to tell you some of those developmental milestones. So birth to three, they start to smile. They're quiet when you talk. Um, Four to six months is when they start looking towards the sound. And seven to 12 months is when they start pointing. They recognize their name. And they can kind of understand uh, simple directives like come here put shoes on. So that's a receptive milestone. And expressively, it's, and at the Speech Sisters has a talk on track app. Um, I've never used it, but they have a great IG page that gives you so much content and information. So that's a great follow. Um, So expressive language is what you say. So two to four months is cooing. Mm -hmm. Four to six months is a lot of early babbling and vocal play. Six to eight months is reduplicative babbling. So that's like ba 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 ba. So it's the right. same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, eight to 10 months is non reduplicative babbling. So that's like ba ga ta. And the tongue moves in different areas to produce different sounds. Mm-hmm. And then 10 to 12 months is conversational intonation. And then at the 12 month mark is when we usually hear the first word. Mm-hmm. And um, the range is from one to five words. And I always feel like um, the surge of speech is like 18 to 24 months. Although I have to tell you, for as long as I've been doing this work, Katie, I feel like every child is different. Like, yeah, the second I try to take data on a child and I try to see if there's any like patterns or trajectory, every child really comes, every child is different. Yeah, that's a part of why I love speech therapy, because you're always learning and things are always changing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like 18 to 24 months is like the surge of speech. And then 36 months is like 250 words. And then like you skyrocket from there. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people like my daughter will be 18 months this week and she's definitely like chatting away a little bit more, but uh, she probably says about 20, maybe 20 words, not consistently all the time, but okay. 
But I've heard from a lot of people that their child had that kind of burst between 18 yes. and 24, like somewhere in that range. That seems to be pretty yep. common. Suddenly yes. they wake up one morning and they're like saying everything. <laughs> like, language, oh. As much as I know about language development, Katie, it still never ceases to amaze me. So I had early intervention. I had a case before and she said a new word and it never ceases to amaze me that they pick up on it and they're saying it. And the mm-hmm. whole time the baby was listening and now they're utilizing it consistently with intent. It's incredible. Yeah, incredible. It, it's really amazing to watch them learn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next question is tips on advocating for speech therapy with the doctor. Okay, so this was a hard one. I, you know, I live in New York City, so I feel like early intervention is a huge proponent. Like it's part of like the evals when you go for your checkups. And I feel like doctors here really push for early intervention. So mm-hmm. if you're not getting, if your doctor is not, pushing it enough, I, I think you would need a new doctor because I personally feel like parents yeah. and guardians know best. Yeah. Um, you can easily show them a developmental chart and just inquire, well, I thought they were supposed to be here, but they're not doing that. Um, I guess I had the opposite in New York City. I feel like it's so pushed mm-hmm. here. Um, and I'm always about going to the eval. If I have anyone that asks me about their baby, I'm like, go for the eval and see what happens and see yeah. if they end up qualifying for services or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the same. And like, and I'm in Canada, but yes. it's very similar in Ontario. I find that the doctors are pretty good. They do the nipping yes. at all the visits and make sure that those milestones are being met. And speech is always a big one that they focus on. That's so if there's any concerns, of course, like if it's just a few words, they would talk to the yes. parents about it, see how the parents are feeling. But I think if the parents showed that um, they were, you know, worried or concerned that they'd have them at least go for an evaluation. And then sometimes that's all that happens and they get discharged and they're yep. done. Right. But yep. at least the option is there. Absolutely. Um, and but how, maybe is early not. In, how is early intervention by you is uh, like, how long is a speech therapy session? Cause I know in Long Island, it's 45 minutes, but in, in where I am, it's 30 minutes. It's like, probably about 30 to 45 minutes for a child. I would think. Okay. Okay. And I think it's the same for even with the adult patients I work with. It's about 45 minutes a session. Got it. By in a flash. Yeah, yeah. I guess with kids, it's the attention span too, though, too much. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So what are important things to tell slash ask an SLP when you do get referred to one? I'm anxious about our appointment and I'm not sure what to ask when I go. Oh, great question. I think some of the things that you want to ask is a a good SLP watches, observes, and listens to the parents concerned, right? So you get on that phone with an SLP initially, or you're at the clinic and you're meeting that SLP, you really want to know that they're listening to you, right? Not jumping over your words, not showing you a developmental chart, just Mm-hmm. listening to your concerns and you want to know that they're observing right and looking to see where their where your child is you also want to know what type of approach would they utilize with your child there's a traditional right. speech therapy there's a floor time model speech speech therapy i'm a very big proponent of following the child's lead and you also want to make sure that the speech language pathologist is willing to work as part of a team right so the parents are part of the team the guardians mm-hmm. If there's an OT, a PT, a special educator, will you work 
on the team with the rest of, for, for the child, right? We're okay. all on the same boat and we all have to work towards the same goal. And you want to make sure that that therapist is willing to take the time out to speak to other specialties about how your child is doing. You also want to know how you're going to let me know about progress. So I do early intervention. The parents or, or guardians are right there. But mm -hmm. in the school system, we write in the notebooks. We have like different types of apps. But you always want to know what's the goal and how is your child like doing towards that goal. Right, so, right. And you can feel them out. You, you really, I think the biggest thing you, is you want them to listen to you. Because yeah. you get on the phone with a parent and they're concerned, you need to listen. You need to yeah. really listen to what they're saying to you. So really like the appropriate thing to do would be to voice whatever concerns you had initially yes. to the SLP so that they have a good understanding of what concerns you and where they can help you with that. Yeah, absolutely. What is the difference between like the traditional and floor play like approaches? Yeah, so, so traditional could be or more of an ABA approach could be more of a structure. So for the first five minutes, we're going to do this. And then 10 minutes, we're going to do that. And then the okay. last, where maybe we're seated, in a, we're seated in a chair or a high chair. I'm definitely running around with the child. We're at the park. We're on the floor. We're outside on, at the playground. I'm more of an unstructured SLP in following mm -hmm. what the child wants. Mm -hmm. I think eventually as we get the child closer to aging out and getting ready for school, then yes. I think sitting is helpful. Right. I just don't think that's just not the way that I would start speech therapy with a baby, especially yeah. at a year, you know, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, you can't, can't no. get much attention out of that. No, them. right. <laughs> right. Makes sense. Somebody asked, what are cup type recommendations for toddlers? Which is a great question because I'm also interested. <laughs> excellent <laughs> question. So I'm going to refer again to the Active Speech Sisters. They have an excellent post about this. But I am such a proponent for open cup at six months old. Mm -hmm. Even if it's like a splash of water, just to show them, just for them to see and have awareness of it, because that promotes a mature swallow pattern. A mature swallow is the tongue at the top of the alveolar ridge, and then it rolls out. The spout cups and the sippy cups really don't promote that type of swallow. I had my son very early on with an open cup, even if he spilt it. Yeah. Straw cups are good because it works the cheek muscles, but you want to just make sure that they're using it, they're suctioning it with their, with their lips. And right. you want to make sure they have proper placement of their tongue. So if you do open cup, it's, the tongue stays in position and then they can just bring their neck back. But I, to this question, I don't have any recommendations for like certain straw cups. I think at the Speech Sisters that a honey bear straw cup was something that they would recommend because I think they can see how to get the liquid up and then out. But okay. I'm big for starting open cup as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. We did open cup at six months. The, we got the easy peasy tiny cup and she really liked it because it's so okay. small. So she was okay. able to hold it. <laughs> Wonderful. And how is she doing with that now? She's good. Yeah, she Wonderful. can still drink from an open cup and she's good with a straw. Like her water bottle has a straw as well. Excellent. So she's good with both of those. We've never really given her a sippy cup. So <laughs> excellent. I'm like, when I see them at the stores, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, speech therapists have been such big proponents of getting rid of those types of cups because of the mature, because of the immature swallow patterns that it could promote. Right, right. Yeah, they're definitely still everywhere. And I mean, there's oh, yeah. nothing, nothing wrong with using them as long as you, I think, teach the other ways yes, as well. Yeah, maybe right? exposure. 
Yeah. 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 Someone asked, at what point should children start to say two word phrases like go outside? Great question. So a rule of thumb that I've always learned is one years old using at least one word and two years old using two words. So I would say at, again, at the 18 to 24 mark is when children start using those two word utterances and they tend to be like a subject and an action. So I go, boat up, pull in those simple phrases that they can use to, you know, get what they want and what they're motivated by. (laughs) Very important. Yeah, that's a good one is one and two is two. So and then I guess after that, it just increases exponentially. (laughs) Yeah, it's insane. Mm -hmm. Someone else asked, all my development info says my corrected nine month old should be making definite ba 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 da 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 sounds, but she's not Mm -hmm. does pay close close attention to my mouth. However, for mama, dada, baby, bye bye, etc. And I've no concerns receptively. Is it too soon to worry? So anytime that anyone has a concern, I say go for the eval. You at that age, you want them to be able to be redoing, be do, you want them to be able to do reduplicative babbling. So bagata. So what she was worried about is what her child should be saying, but don't worry. Get your mirror out. Start doing those sounds with, with your child. Also, you always want to check a baby's hearing. Mm-hmm. You always want to make sure that the baby can hear. You yeah. want to also check a big Thing in our field is lip ties and tongue ties and a lot of speech language pathologists feel differently about different things but I think you should check it to mm-hmm. at least know if it's there but you obviously want to make sure that the child is able to hear you because I've yes. been in situations where you'll be doing speech therapy and then you'll find out later on the child wasn't hearing you and, and that's that, part of the problem that's part of the problem right and or they'll, maybe they'll have continual ear, ear infection. So you have to right. definitely stay on top of the hearing because it, it'll 100% affect expressive language. So I would tell this mom or guardian to definitely go for an eval. Mm-hmm. Um, but the receptive part of, of her or him understanding is excellent because at this age, Katie, receptive is higher than expressive. Right. So that's right. excellent. But you want to get, you know, because the older that they get, the more frustrated that he or she will become if they can't express right, their right. wants and needs. So that's right. the la- And then you see tantrums and frustrations. Is there normally any delay like with corrected ages for preemies or? Definitely. Definitely. And that I would guide you to, I believe at the Speech Sisters has that information, but I don't have it readily available, but absolutely. Absolutely. So it might be that that could contribute to it as well then, because she did say the baby's nine months corrected, so. Oh, got it. Mm-hmm. Got, oh, I didn't even see that in the question. Yep. All my development says my corrected nine months. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the hearing, do they test hearing there, like when they're born? Yes. But okay. it's, it's not a complete audiological eval, obviously. Okay. It's one of those quick ones. But anytime yeah. that I get onto a case... That's the first thing I recommend. I'm like, go for a complete audiological evaluation because different phonemes fall on a speech banana and maybe they have a high frequency hearing loss, a low right. frequency hearing loss. And if they're not hearing the S sound in, in English, the S sound is the most frequently used phoneme in our language. Mm-hmm. And it, I believe it's a high frequency sound. So if you're not hearing at the top and you don't hear the S and the S is the most frequently used sound in our language. You're missing a lot. <laughs> you're missing a lot. So Complete audiological eval, 100%. And even on top of that, Katie, kids that have articulation errors, 
I even send them to for an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Right, right. You're trying to put a whole picture together. And yeah, there's there, certain specialties that need to contribute to the whole. Yeah, there could be so many different causes to yes. issues. That's, yes. that's the problem. If a parent maybe suspects that hearing is an issue, like, are there any signs that they can like look for or should look for, like, to indicate yeah. the child might need an audiological exam? So not turning to their name, uh, not turning for their name, or maybe not turning around when loud sounds are happening. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when my son was younger, I would clap further away to the left and then clap to the right and try to see if he would turn. But a complete audiological will let you know at each frequency what that's happening at. But those little minor things of maybe not noticing when someone comes into the door, the door slams, stuff like that. Somebody else asked, is there anything we can do as parents to prevent speech impediments? As a future parent who has a stutter, I also read that smoking and lack of breastfeeding can cause it, which my mom all did. And does having a speech impediment raise the chances my child will mimic or develop one? Excellent question. I had to do a lot of research on this (laughs) one. I'm going to defer to two great Instagram accounts. It's at slp.steven, S-T-E-P-H-E-N and at stuttering therapy underscore NJ. So stuttering does have a genetic component. What I would say to this future parent is that you want to model slow paced speech, mm-hmm. right? And we, it's all about how you present it to the child. So the acceptance of stuttering will also help dissolve the feeling that something is wrong. Right. So those two accounts really promote like SLP Steven, he says on his IG page, I help SLPs treat fluency like a boss. Mm -hmm. And he's a person who stutters himself. And he offers such insight on how to give your child techniques and tips and tricks to overcome some of their disfluencies. But I think when you model that in your home environment, you model that disfluencies are okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that that mindset going forward will just enable them to have confidence when they're speaking. Right, right. That's so important to set the tone for, you know, going out into the world. Yeah, because I think like stuttering and speech impediments, they can be quite stressful, like emotionally stressful for people yes. who have them. So yeah, if your child is showing that they might have one, it's better to make that an okay thing like yes. it's fine you know yes it's fine we it's can fine. manage it <laughs> right right and then you know you want to make sure that you're giving them all of your attention when you're speaking with them you don't want to rush them but those two instagram accounts really give profound information on stuttering especially with kids how important is it for a child to have intelligible speech by the time they start preschool or kindergarten and why super important because it goes back to what every parent asks me to help them with is I want my child to be able to express their wants and needs. I want to know when my child is hurt. I want to know what my child wants to eat. And you want those in those school platforms because you won't be there. Yeah. Can your child let the teacher know that he doesn't feel well or he got hurt or someone's bothering him? It's super important. And Jeanette Washington at barely underscore articulating has an excellent um, visual on intelligibility. And she says at 18 months, it's 25% intelligible. 
24 months is 50 to 75% intelligible and 36 months is 75 to 100% intelligible. And she Mm -hmm. got that from Bowen 2011, but you really want your child to be understood by an adult who's not you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're not there to advocate for them, which you have been doing this whole time. (laughs) Right. So, and you want to know that they're okay. And Mm -hmm. especially if their stomach hurts and that's the biggest thing when parents ask me, they're like, I want my child to be able to express their wants and needs. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing for them that they know that if they're hurt, that they'll be able to help them. And so I would say it's very important, very important. So at those, uh, like at that age, when they're about to go into preschool or kindergarten, if they're having unintelligible speech at that point, they should seek SLP support. Absolutely. I would even talk to the teacher beforehand about that your child has speech differences and maybe what certain things may mean so that your child can communicate his wants and needs and have confidence. Because you want to have confidence in the classroom, even at a young age. Right. You, right. you want to feel like you can talk to somebody, you want to talk to a peer. Um, absolutely. You definitely want to get speech therapy beforehand so that when they get into that setting, that they can do those things. Yeah. Someone asked, my son has apraxia. It would have been helpful to know that the reasons are that what the reasons are that aren't autism or physical deformities as to why a child is nonverbal. So apraxia is a motor speech disorder where the brain can't tell the mouth how to execute a certain sound. Um, I'm a huge proponent for the prompt method. So prompt is prompts for restructuring oral muscular phonetic targets. And that's a multi-sensory approach to working with sound. So children with apraxia, I feel in my personal opinion, they benefit from the approach of, of the prompt therapy. So that's me touching their face, touching their mouth, eliciting certain jaw heights to try to elicit a certain sound. Mm -hmm. So some signs of apraxia are groping, having vowel errors, vowel distortion. When a child is diagnosed with apraxia, it's hard to diagnose first because it takes a certain number of words for you to see those types of things. Really want to get someone in there that has a multidisciplinary approach to working with sounds and that repetition is key. So having frequent speech therapy and working on the same targeted sounds over and over and over again, because you want to map into their mouth and their brain how it feels to produce a certain sound. Right. But this was an excellent question. And I'm sorry that this parent didn't know that, you know, that apraxia could be on the table. Because that's hard if you're not, if you're just thinking that autism would be the only cause. Is the only cause, I guess. Right. Yeah. So so can it happen just without like a cause essentially, like just on its own, or is it always a symptom of a condition? No, it could definitely happen. I feel like it could definitely happen on its own. Mm -hmm. It's definitely more correlated with autism, but there have been instances that it can happen on its own. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something that's always in the back of my mind that as soon as I get on the case, I'm looking for groping. I'm looking for vowel distortions and I'm trying to evaluate, could that be a reason why? What is groping? (laughs) So uh, being unable to say a sound, so maybe going ma. So those first initial type of lip They're kind of like moving their lips without saying it. Okay. Right. And then saying it before, and then, and then eventually getting it out. And they tend to also have very inconsistent errors. Maybe one day they could say cup and then the next day they can't say cup. Okay. It's all about the motor planning of it, but. Right. 
that's tough to be in a situation and not know that that could be a possible reason why that your child is not talking. Mm -hmm. And, and does therapy, can it get rid of it or will it always be an issue that they struggle with? Excellent question. Getting rid of it. I'm not sure. I know that with the support of speech therapy, that you can work on targeted sounds and phonemes and there can be an increase in overall expressive language. Absolutely. Because the prompt methodology truly believes in children with apraxia, that that therapy technique can help support those students. Mm -hmm. I know that there's an excellent speech therapy page. His name is Jordan Christian and he was diagnosed with apraxia and he speaks about about his journey on Mm -hmm. getting therapy. I do believe that he can articulate how he feels about it. I don't know if it totally goes away or- But it's manageable. It can become more manageable, basically. Right, right. Right. But he has an excellent page that definitely supports. um, Because I'm all about, you know, I can read about autism, I can read about apraxia, but let's talk to the individuals who have those things. Yeah, the lived experience is so valuable for everything. Because they know more than I do, right? So I have to learn from them and those accounts. I mean, Instagram has totally blown my mind on what I've learned and it's incredible and connecting with you and (laughs) it's incredible. It's incredible. And why I'm even here today, you're in Canada, I'm in Staten Island, New York. It's incredible. Yeah. I love, I love social media for that. A lot of my guests have been American, which is amazing to get such a like wide perspective of experts and just like moms and stuff on to share their like wide variety of experiences, which are so different because especially for me, it's like our hospital systems are so different here and there. So birth stories even are like totally interesting and and new to me because it's just totally different than it is here so okay it's so cool and then all the experts just from all around it's just great to have all that knowledge (laughs) when is the time to worry about speech development if there is a time I find that most parents are worried at the one year old mark when their child is not saying their first word. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like the wait and see approach. I'm all about intervention as soon as possible Mm -hmm. because why not stimulate the brain and the neurons earlier on? I think you got to get in there early. I think early intervention is absolutely incredible, but I feel like most parents tend to worry at the one year old mark when they're not saying anything. There's a benefit then to doing speech therapy, even if potentially there's nothing really going on. I always say every child benefits from speech therapy. It's like an extra push. Yeah. An extra push. I think that uh, speech is something people worry about a lot. It's, it's similar to walking. I find at one year, we have a lot of concern around the first word and we have a lot of concern in primary care about walking, but for walking, there is really a window of time where it's, where it's acceptable um, you wouldn't send them necessarily to a PTOT at one year just because they haven't started walking because those motor milestones have a bigger yes. window of time. But speech, yes. you can benefit either way, I think, if you do early intervention. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I tell everyone that asks me to go for it. Yeah. Or start. Uh, yeah. Start. Get If you can't get it, try private speech, you know, uh, but I would get started because stimulating them at a young age, I, I think is crucial. Yeah, I think so too. And I think anything we can do to help them learn and express themselves and 
be receptive going forward is always beneficial. Like I'm a huge school nerd. So any, yeah. any learning that my child yes. can do, I'm so happy. <laughs> and I also feel like it's so important to also teach the parent and or guardian just speech techniques or strategies and putting items within, um, out of reach, but within sight, mm-hmm. taking a favorite toy and putting it in a Tupperware, mm-hmm. clear Tupperware box, taking a toy and putting it in a Ziploc bag, you know, and they need you to open it. So mm-hmm. how do, to work on the word? How do they tell you? I, right. Or help me. Maybe they'll bring the bag to me mm-hmm. and they want, and then I'll prompt with them open or mm-hmm. help me. But strategies like that, taking all the toys away in the living room and putting them in places in boxes or like I said, out within sight, but out of reach where you can point to it and right. you can have joint attention with that child. We're both looking at the same object. So I find that it's a lot of strategies with the parent or guardian as well to teach them, you know, some tips and tricks and techniques to help increase overall expressive language. Yeah. And I think most parents would be thankful to receive oh. that because, you know, it's a, it's a journey parenthood. So. Absolutely. Listen, we're learning as we go, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I have a six-year-old, but I'm learning as I go, right? We're yeah. all doing the best we can, yeah. especially coming off the year that we've had, right? Like, and you're, and you're uh, at home. A lot of people are at home with their kids, regardless of yes. the age right now. And either they're doing school or they're just home because they can't go to daycare or whatever it is. And you're, you're observing them a lot more, I think, as a result. So there's probably a lot of people noticing small nuances more right now, right? Yes, absolutely. If you like this podcast, hit that subscribe button. You can also check out our website at www.elephantinthewomb.ca and subscribe to the blog email list for blog and podcast updates.